This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What percent chance do you think it is that Justin Fields starts week one? Oh, 5% less? I mean, let's say absent injury, I think there's a very, very, very small chance he starts week one. Very small. That's Ian Rappaport, NFL Network. On the Parkinson Spiegel show the other day on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score not giving it a good chance for... Justin Fields to be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears on September 12th at the Rams at 720. We're going to get more into the Bears here in just a second. But because I began the show today talking about the White Sox and how there should be concern about the White Sox bullpen, I have to give a huge thumbs up right now to Evan Marshall, who entered the, the White Sox game Fifth inning with the bases loaded, nobody out. The Yankees leading the Sox. We're leading the Sox two to nothing, and he gets the guy to hit into a double play. Yes, a run scored, but you will take that every. Gets the ground ball. So Tony Larusa, I was like, why are you bringing in Evan Marshall here? And uh, Evan Marshall comes in and does his job. That was kudos. But the Yankees do lead the White Sox three nothing. With uh, two outs in the fifth inning, we will continue to keep you up to date on that game. Cubs-Cardinals tonight, 6.08, right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 6.70. The score, 5.30 pregame with Zach Zayman, the Pat Hughes, and Ron Coomer will have the call of the rubber game of that three-game series after the Cardinals beat the Cubs by final score of 2-1 to one yesterday. Let's talk about the Bears now. The The Bears coming off of the rookie minicamp, they have... OTAs coming up June 1 through the 3rd, and Mark Potash covers the Chicago Bears for the Chicago Sun-Times, and he joins me now. What's going on, Potsy? How are you? I'm fine, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing well. One of the questions Great. that I, I have been uh, asking, and I, I went over this with Hub Arkish the other day, and uh, we just heard Ian Rappaport saying, or, you know, saying, believing, based on his conversation with Matt Nagy, that very little chance that Justin Fields will be the Bears' starting quarterback. My question is this then. If that's the plan, and that's fine that you know maybe they want to sit Justin Fields out for the entire season or whatever it might be, does that mean that if Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback for the Bears, that he would not then be the backup quarterback, that Justin Fields would that Nick Foles would be the backup and Justin Fields could he is it possible that he would be inactive because they wouldn't want him coming into the game for injury would they I think that's uh, that's entirely possible we you know what, what we don't know is how much of a chance and we tried to, I tried to get the ask this question of Matt Nagy um, 
after the rookie minicamp. How much of a chance, how open-minded will he be? How much of a chance is he going to give Justin Fields to show him that he's worthy? Because he's on record as saying, you know, we'll know it when we see it. But will they give themselves a chance to see it? And if they don't give him a lot of first, they don't give many first team reps, and if he ends up with the splitting second team reps, I imagine um, it's questionable how much uh, you know uh, how much they're actually going to see that. But uh, you raise a good point. I mean, um, you know, uh, Mitch Trubisky was the number three quarterback also when he started technically or, or actually, and 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 that could be the same. So the only thing I can say about this, I think this is a totally fluid situation. I don't think anything is in stone. I mean. I think their sole intent right now is not to offend Andy Dalton. I, I really think that's. I think this, that's what most of this is all about: um, is giving, is being true to Andy Dalton because things kind of change. You know, after they signed him, they didn't know they were going to be able to get Justin Fields, and I don't think they can just pull the rug from out, out from under him. And I think they're conscious of that. So what I'm saying is, I think things can change almost immediately from training camp based on what they see. Uh, it, but again, it comes down to just how open-minded they'll be. I mean, that's a great way to put it, man. Fluid situation, and I think that most Bears fans probably hope that and probably think that, too, that no matter what is being said, that Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback, whether that's to protect feelings or to or that, that he is the guy. Have you figured out, and, and that also is the key thing, about you know, when, once they see it, they'll, they'll know it. I, I don't know what that is. Like, what... I guess there's some tests that he'll have to pass, and maybe this is incumbent upon us to ask the right questions. But do you have any idea of knowing what it is that they would need to see? Is it in practice? Is it in the in any of the three preseason games? What, what is it that they need to see that would make him the magical starter on September 12th? Well, the problem, Mark, is that he's not going to get enough of a chance, I think, in the preseason to uh, to show enough overt reason, it's going to have to be. They're going to, have to be looking for intangibles. Does he have command of the offense? Can he can he make a rookie left tackle better? You know what I'm saying? Can, can he make the offensive line better? Um, does he, you know do, do players play better because of him? These are things that you really need intuition for. And frankly, they haven't show they haven't shown that they have that. The one reference point I think um, uh, you know was Russell Wilson in Seattle. It took one good. Uh, preseason game, I think, with the backups for Pete Carroll, who's a really open-minded, progressive guy, to say, hey, uh, maybe this guy's better than I thought, and, and the rest is history. I just don't know if the Bears will be that uh, that intuitive or that open-minded to kind of know that. So, so, the answer, so really, I don't have an answer to your question. I, I, I don't know how, I don't know, I think, I don't know how obvious it's going to have to be um, for Justin Fields to get uh, to take those uh, incremental steps towards, hey, this might be this kid might be more than we think. I just don't I just don't have I just can't see uh, where they're heading in that in that direction. Again, same thing. We got to wait and see. The only thing I'll say is I really do believe that Matt Nagy will uh, you know uh, will at least will, will, he's not set on Andy Dalton being his 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 quarterback. I, certainly not for the whole year. Maybe even not for week one. For all we know. But it just again, we've got to wait and see see it play out because we have no we have no evidence right now that that he will uh, kind of push um, for Justin Fields. Once he how much of a clue does he need? Does he need one one splash play? Does he need one kind of just one little bit of evidence that this kid has command of the huddle and command of the offense? We, we don't know what it takes, but 
that's the key to the whole thing because, you know, like I said, it worked for Pete Carroll, but that's he's a different kind of coach. Could some of this be as, as simple as, and there's no way that the Bears would, would say this, that <laughs> that although we all think Tevin Jenkins is should be, based on his pedigree, a, a legit tackle and left tackle at that in this league, that they want to make sure that that offensive line works before they just go throwing Justin Fields in there? Well, that in itself is kind of an interesting part of the equation because, and that's the difference between having a guy like Justin Fields versus Mitch Trubisky is, yeah, you, the worst thing you want is for your rookie quarterback to get his brains beat in, and then, you know, the, you know, the old David Carr situation in Houston, well, it was, that was like four or five years, and, and I really believe that he would have been a much better quarterback if he wouldn't have gotten his brains beat in for those five years uh, uh, in Houston. And, uh, you know, going back to my day, I guess, uh, Archie Manning, uh, you know, with the Saints, same old thing, and he actually was a really good quarterback, so you don't want that to happen. But there's also this factor. What if this guy makes the offensive line better? What if, what if, you know, it's like a guy like Charles Leno. I don't think he was like really, he was not a bad offensive line. He, did, he, he was not uh, what he's been referred to as a turnstile. He would make a couple of mistakes, but the problem was those mistakes would show up because they just couldn't work around him. Maybe this guy can help you work around him. If, he, if, if your left tackle gets beat and this guy runs away and throws downfield for a touchdown, Nobody notices the error. So my point is is that, yeah, you don't want your quarterback to play behind a sieve of an offensive line, but you also, with this guy, you've also got to consider the fact that, hey, maybe he can make your offensive line better instead of worse. Yeah, no, and it, it's it, that's a great way to flip it. I mean, for sure. And that's what, hell, that great quarterbacks, if they are great, and we don't know if Justin Fields will be, they make everybody better, and we, we've seen that with Aaron Rodgers. He has made receivers look great. He's made guys into names, and I guess, Potsy, that's, maybe that's one of the ways to, to look at it and judge whether how if he's passing tests, is Justin Fields not only making the offensive line better, is he making Anthony Miller into a better receiver? Is Javon Wims better? Is Riley Ridley better? Is, can Daz Newsom be a receiver? I guess it's all aspects, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a the, the question is, you know, he has this mobility, um, uh, but you know how uh, you know how, how much of an uh, how much of an intuition about the position does he have as far as being able to? I think that's the one knock of him. Can he throw quickly in tight spaces? And can, when he gets out of does he uh, does he have escapability? Is work? Does he know how to make those little moves just to get just to give himself that extra half half second of time? And also the biggest key, I always call it the most underrated factor of quarterbacking. Can he find the open guy late? And 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 that is the key. I mean, Trubisky could get away out of trouble, but he could not. I think he struggled to make something out of it. Uh, the 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 what the benefit of a guy like Justin Fields is he can not only make uh, nullify or neutralize a mistake he can turn that mistake into a big play by moving his the pocket by himself finding somebody open late. Uh, uh, Darnell Mooney is a typical speed guy who is like that and, and make a big play and if he can do that. Then he's making. Then he makes everybody better because he's a, he is the guy who puts the defense on its heels. He's, he's theory, theory. If if he plays, and that changes everything um, about him. So that's why the potential is so. That's why there's so much more excitement about him than uh, Trubisky, who was like you know the number two pick. And but it's just, there's no comparison. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And obviously, there was a ton of excitement for Trubisky, but it is different. It does. It, it feels more like when Jay Cutler came in than it does when Trubisky was was drafted second overall. Uh, let's talk about the guys who either or any of the quarterbacks might be throwing to this year. And we know that Allen Robinson and uh, Darnell Mooney are going to be you know two of the top targets, and hopefully Cole Komet gets another step up. But they got all these wide receivers, and that that is something that Matt Nagy kept on talking about. You know, with you know trying to walk back the Mike Furry words that seem to be directed towards Anthony Miller that we don't need you because of all the depth that we we have with all the guys that are there already and Javon Wims and Riley Ridley and then they get Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird and and the guys that exist already Anthony Miller too it feels like to me they've got quantity but where specifically do you think the quality is this year and, and those who will catch the football from Bears quarterbacks well I, I think um I would I would say they've got guys who are a quarterback away from being really good. I mean, Allen Robinson's a proven guy. Darnell Mooney, Dar- Darnell Mooney, uh, his production in a bad offense with that quarterback, uh, it was I think phenomenal. I think that I think that <clears throat> excuse me I think that bodes well uh, for a better offense with a better quarterback. Same thing with Cole Komet. Um, so I think they've got. Uh, I don't think they have a bad receiving core. I think they have a uh, a receiving core that right now. Has a lot of potential. Riley Ridley, you know, maybe you get the right quarterback in there, and you know, maybe that guy he can be a starter. We haven't seen it. We don't see the evidence, like, but we have seen the evidence with Mooney, um, who can be that guy who, like, uh, you know, like a lot of these uh, receivers, you see these speed receivers, you find them like, you know, all of a sudden wide open while someone's work, you know, while a quarterback's running around. So I think I think they have potential. I don't think I don't think uh, I think if uh, Fields is good enough. Um, I think uh, I think I don't think re- the receiving core will be a problem. I think he will make these guys are good enough. This is not these are not like uh, 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 mediocre players. I think um, that you're trying to make the most out of. I think these are uh, especially with Miller, Mooney, uh, Allen Robinson, and Cole Komet as a tight end. I, I think that's uh, in in the, in the Saints offense. Those guys are, are, are pretty productive players. We've got or the, the Chiefs, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. We've got the the next Bears get-together, the OTAs, June 1st through the 3rd. I think we get one day of yes. that we're allowed to be there. What what are you looking most forward to, man, about that? Well, I want to see who's there, first of all. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. That is a, that is a real thing, for sure. And I just want to see, uh, you know, like everybody else, just want to see uh, Justin Fields with uh, veteran players. And... Um, and uh, you know, of course, I guess you know, assuming Tevin Jenkins' lines, you know, seeing seeing the seeing how they seeing the offensive line, who's at center, um, you know, those things won't be determined exactly uh, in OTAs, uh, but uh, but at least those are certain things. But yeah, just just you know, Justin Fields, everyone's going to be looking, not just seeing him out there, but seeing if he's the kind of guy who can kind of uh, elevate the the offense as a whole. And and uh, and like like we've been talking about, make other players better. That's that's what this is all about. Getting a quarterback. You know, I always said if they didn't, if if they couldn't get one of these top three quarterbacks, they just had to get a 
a, a supporting cast that could make the quarterback better, assuming it was you know Nick Foles or Andy Dalton. You know, now with Justin Fields, uh, that changes the equation a little bit. Now you've got a chance to see, hey, this guy can make other people better. So really, just looking at that, just to seeing how you know, just seeing Justin Fields in a Bears uniform on this team with veteran players and not just rookies. Uh, that would, to me, that's that's going to be everybody's focus. We we will will be obsessed with that. Last last Bears thing here for you the 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 Bears draft class Fields Jenkins Larry Borum Khalil Herbert Daz Newsome Thomas Graham Jr. and Kyrus Tonga you think this whole crew makes the team yeah oh yeah yeah I do I think that's the way it's been going um uh and I'm just trying to think about position wise and where they are and um uh, yeah, I, I think I think this I think this they they will make it. I think this group will make it because there's you know, well, some of them don't have that much. You know, they need depth at, at the positions where they drafted. So, um, and Newsom is very intriguing, and yeah. Herbert is a guy who like they didn't really need that position, but they dra- that that's it's an intriguing draft pick to me because he must have been so good and so high on their board that they took him at a position where they really didn't need even the depth, frankly, and so. So I think maybe as a returner or whatever, I think he's maybe a factor, or just he maybe even as a running back, he must have been pretty good. I'm not a scout, but um, so yeah. So yeah, I would say I, I I don't know how good of a class this will end up being, but I think they'll all make it. Yeah, no, I think I agree with you, and yeah, and I think that there there is some way for all of these guys to potentially contribute. I mean, Thomas Graham Jr. might might be that that Nickelback. Who knows? And. Newsom could do like Darnell Mooney did last year as well. We're talking to Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times, covers the, the Bears for the Sun-Times, just like I cover the Bears for the, the score. Update on the White Sox, by the way. They are now trailing the Yankees 3-2. to two. Jose Abreu hit a two-run homer after Evan Marshall did a magnificent job of coming in and and relieving Dallas Keuchel with the bases loaded and nobody out, gave up just one run, hit into a got the guy to hit into a bases loaded double play. So Yankees three, White Sox two, one out in the six. I'll continue to keep you up to date on all of that. And Potsy, dare I ask you what you thought about the entire Tony Larusa uh, mayhem and this guy that's at the plate right now, your main Mercedes, uh, you know, swinging on a, a 3-0 count and all of the fallout that occurred from it. Have you a thought on that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, um, I'm kind of an old goat myself, so I'm not quite as hard on Tony Lewis. I kind of see where he's coming from. But uh, I think it was kind of interesting. There, there, to me, there are a lot of like things that weren't as well-defined that probably should have been. I mean, for one thing, it's an unwritten rule. Is that, is that out of touch that it, that, that – that 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 unwritten rule should apply. Yeah, absolutely, it was. But was Tony Larusa right about wanting to protect Mercedes from retaliation? Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think that's a fair point. Um, he was also criticized for calling out his player. I'm not against that. I think acknowledging players' errors or if a player makes a mistake, um, I, that's fine with me. But calling him clueless, I mean, that's just bad form. I mean, that's just overdoing it. That's just a that's just a bad choice of words, just a bad way to put it. That just again took him from, I think, being in a strong position of being, you know, frank and and, and having candor about a player, and then turning it the other way. So, but the key issue for me is the take sign. I mean, did Mercedes mm-hmm. miss the sign or did he ignore it? I think that's a really important distinction because uh, it, it, it that would that would have allowed uh, um, Larusa to kind of frame it in in, in a much uh, much more favorable light because 
you know, he can say, hey, listen, I don't, I don't like you swinging on 3-0, and and you, can, you have every right to disagree with me, but you don't have the right to disobey me. And I think that's a very <clears throat> strong argument uh, for LaRusso if he would have made it, hey, my issue is that he, dis- he, he, he disobeyed me. And, and you can say what you want about LaRusso. If you don't want him with the White Sox, that's fine. You know, I agree with that. I wouldn't have made him the manager either. But he's still the manager, and you still have to obey him even if you disagree with him. So that was the one aftermath that I'd like about the Tim Anderson thing like that. Yeah, that's great that they love that Mercedes would, you know, would swing away. But if they're in favor of Mercedes disobeying uh, uh, their manager, I- I'm sorry. They're, I think they're in the wrong on that. So to me, Mark, the crux of the issue is, is just the generation gap. I mean, hitting 3-0 and against a position player it's not disrespecting the game as it was when Tony LaRusso was managing before. I mean, that's all you know, the game is changing. To me, uh, an inherited runner on second base and the seven-inning doubleheader, to me, that's more, that should offend Tony LaRusso's baseball sensibilities more <laughs> than somebody swinging 3-0. and So my uh-huh. point is the game has changed. And, you know, it's like I pointed out earlier this week, you know, when, when Tony LaRusso last managed in 2011, a, player, a position player pitched eight times all season. This year, they've already had 31 times. They're on a pace for 111 appearances by position. The game has changed. So he's got to be cognizant of the game, the fact that he should know it. I mean, he's, he's managing seven-inning doubleheaders now, thinks he never would have gone for a runner on second to start the extra innings. That should, be, that should offend him. And, and so I, what I'm saying is I, I just feel like the game, he's got to be more cognizant that the game has changed. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying he's wrong on all these things. I think that he is, he's correct on some of them, but I just think he framed the argument in a just haphazard, just ham-handedly. I guess is is probably the way to put it. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. I, I that would, makes sense. It was kind of no, long-winded. No, it does. But those my th- you asked my thoughts. So that's oh no, thought. that's 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 why I asked you. That that was great, and I like I think that I, I agree. Like Tony's got to realize the game has changed and all that. However. I'd be willing to bet that about half the players in Major League Baseball and maybe half the the managers too, maybe I'm being a little bit generous here, that they still adhere to some of the the unwritten, the old school unwritten rules. Trust me, man. There's 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 players who their mentality is don't show me up, and I and I think that change like we all kind of enjoy the change like the 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 change that is occurring in baseball, but change doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes change is painful and painful things happen and there's debates and there's arguments and it takes a while. So like we all want it like to all of a sudden to have baseball rules and protocol be one way for a hundred years and then change over a two or three year period. Don't you agree that stuff like that can take a decade to get all of that out and you get all those players out of the game or the managers out of the game or, or however you want to phrase it. Well, especially when you have a manager who literally managed 40 years ago. I mean, that, like I said, it's the generation gap is, is the biggest is the biggest factor in, in this in this uh, issue. Is that and the game is changing. And frankly, I don't I don't like the changes. I don't like I don't I don't like where the game is going. I think anytime you have, anytime you're talking, anytime you're making moves like inherit an inherited runner or sounding double headers. You know, this year this week I got covered the the Cubs and. and David Ross was actually uh, thinking that was actually saying or kind of agreeing that yeah you know maybe the maybe the slaughter rule is 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 okay you know I mean I mean uh, um, was it Steve Stone was talking about moving the mound back I mean these are things that are to me are just uh, uh, so much a part of the foundation of the game you know three outs in an inning and 
and 90 feet between the bases and 60 feet, six inches between the pitcher's mound and the plate. I mean, they're, they're turning to, they're changing some things that to me are unchangeable. And I, so I think the direction of the game, I think it's changing uh, too much. I think baseball has, I think baseball has an issue. So, um, but yeah, I think it, you know, you, it is. There is a there is kind of a progression, and people get used to it. And then and then you have situations like an older guy like Larusa, and, and that's where you have problems. But let me say this though: I think the whole issue is kind of a to me is a little bit of a joke because when it's fifteen to four, I'm not impressed by the home run anyway. So I mean, I don't care. <laughs> I actually don't care about it because at fifteen to four, I think home runs when you're up fifteen to four, those are almost an indictment. Not in this situation, but sometimes when your guy produces, and that, that's that's people in this day and age get. They get really excited about things like that, like it's some cute thing or whatever. But to me, it's almost like, yeah, it's almost like I said, an indictment of a player who you know hits a home run when it's fifteen to four. Yeah, that's, yeah. my point is that's just not a big deal to me. So right. it's I don't want to say there's much to do about nothing because obviously people are passionate about it. You can tell I I am to an extent, but still, when it's fifteen to four, nothing. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, there are much bigger issues like I've talked about uh, with you that that I think baseball has to address and and. This isn't one of them, but you know this is the this is what we're. The, hey, this is this is what uh, this is what Jerry Reinsdorf signed up for when he when he insisted that Tony Larusa should be his manager. And I'm a guy I can't complain too much because I wanted Ozzy. That was another retread, and I still want him. But uh, but uh, but still, that was you know, uh, th- and that to me that's the other point is that where is Rick Hahn? I think that's probably been the biggest disappointment. Yeah, is why has Rick Hahn been so silent? This is where you know this he's the guy who's supposed to bridge the generations, and he should be out there. It was so funny. I covered the Cubs on like Thursday, and like the first or second thing I did was we talked to Jed Hoyer, which you know as you know is a shock to my system because I'm used to a GM who doesn't talk at all during the during the season. <laughs> right. So I'm like trying to. This is like. Like oh, sensory overload for me. Like I'm trying to get my handlers, and yet the White Sox have a situation where their GM should be talking, and he isn't. So to me, thinking about it, I think that's probably the biggest disappointment of this whole episode is that you know the G, the, the GM who should know that he's got a, a different situation here with a guy who's been, who's basically his owner is hired. Um, you know, needs to, needed to kind of uh, uh, smooth this thing over and explain himself, and he didn't. That was, frankly, like I said, a disappointment. You know why? Because Rick Hahn never wanted to hire Tony LaRusso in the first place. He's like, but why then, do I got to stand the, up here then, and explain then, this? Then he should have resigned if he didn't want to take the heat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, then he should. Then he just should have. Uh, he should have not done the job. But he, this is still his job. He accepted it, and he's got. This is part of the responsibility uh, if he was going to stay in the job. So I really feel like you know he should have stepped up and and uh, and 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 put this thing into a better perspective because that's really what they needed. They needed to put things in a better perspective than they did because everything was a little bit off. Mark, great stuff as always. Thanks for coming on with me on a Sunday. I will let you get back to your regularly scheduled programming uh, for your your Sunday. I hope it's a, hope it's a great day. Hope you get outside, Potsy, and I will, I will look forward to seeing you soon, my friend. Thanks, Mark. Always enjoy uh, talking to you. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, man. That's Mark Potash covers the Bears for the the Chicago Sun Times. When we return, I, I see the bunch of text message reactions. I'll read some of your text messages, see if uh, we can get in anything with that. And we will hear from the riots. Ryan Terrio was on the score earlier today with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. I haven't heard it, 
um, because I was watching the Cubs game during hit and run this morning. I was out last night, so I watched the Cubs game, and but I was just told that it's pretty good because and it pertains to some of what we were just talking about. Ryan Terrio played for Tony La Russa, played for the Cardinals, played for the Cubs, so he can kind of do the the all perspective. We'll update you on what's going on in the White Sox game as well. I'm Mark Grody here with you till three on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Terrio lifts to deep center. Hairston back on the warning track. Oh, that's old school right there, huh? Mark Grody back with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, old school Terrio, old school Len Casper. Where did Len Casper go? I don't I never see him anymore. Um, but, yeah, that was the riot, Ryan Terrio, and we will hear from Ryan Terrio here in just a second. I'm Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, I want to give you guys a little credit on the text lines here. Read some of your text messages, as I told you I would do. 312-644-6767-219. All these younger athletes nowadays never got their ass whooped as a kid and were basically spoon-fed their whole life all the way through college. I'm not a White Sox fan, but I love Tony La Russa's style. So he's into the ass whooping. Um, let's see here. From the 6-3-0, your mean will get paid for his stats. Home runs are a big one in that calculation. They're not going to say he hit 36 home runs, but it's really 35 when you consider one came against a good position player. Probably right. I mean, they obviously look at things a lot more closely than they once did, and they look at circumstances more than they did in the past. But you're probably right about that one. Uh, from the 2-2-4, it seems like baseball nowadays is a sport for a bunch of crybabies and people that complain about every little thing that anybody does, even like playing the game, question mark. All right, I got a little confused there. Um, the new extra inning rule can't offend TRL because <laughs> because he doesn't know them. That was good. Very good, 6-3-0. Um, couple more. 3-1-2. Fields has a tendency, that's Justin Fields, to hold on to the ball too long. How is he going to make the line better? Come on, man. Yeah, that's what we were surmising with Mark Potash, that he can make, you know, the idea of a franchise quarterback is that he makes the players around him better. Well, I would say to you, 3-1-2, that maybe that's one of those things that we'll know it when we see it. When Fields doesn't hold the ball too long, that he'll be the starting quarterback for the Bears. Um, for the A-4-7, for a good team defense, injured Dalton in the preseason, issue solved. Um, now we don't want injuries. From the 6-3-0, Potsy from the 8-4-7. This is a rough listen groats. What? Uh, from the 8-1-5, steak dinner, boom. And then one more because we got to get on to other, other stuff. 7-0-7, they just need to have a 10-game lead by July 31st. That's the Cubs. Keep everyone in the World Series. Whatever happens next year happens next year. Yeah, hey, the Cubs have a 10-run lead going into the uh, – into the trade deadline. I ain't breaking up anything either. Okay. Ryan Terrio was on with Matt Spiegel on hit and run earlier this morning. Let's all listen to it right now here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. I think that we just heard something from the 2012 World Series. Yeah, your your career ended well. You, you did it right. You went out with two World Series winning teams, uh, two different ones in your final two years. That's well played, sir. Maybe you wanted to play more than that, sure. But as you look back on it, that's not a bad way to finish, don't you think? No, I didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Um, no, I, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time, you know, obviously, um, 
having the ability to kind of choose where you go play is, is uh, helps things a little bit. And then, um, you know, there toward the end, man, it, it was, like you said, man, it's a storybook ending. And, um, and I always wanted to kind of go out on my own terms and, and, uh, you know, I was just fortunate to be in that situation. You know, San Francisco, uh, a great run in 2012, and then St. Louis in 2011. So, um, you know, it's just a blessing, man, honestly. Uh, I was putting a couple great spots there at the end. Yeah, you know, in this town, obviously, people remember you as a Cubs shortstop. You were the only uh, yeah. starting starting shortstop for multiple Cubs playoff teams between the 1930s and then Addison Russell in 2015, 16, and 17. So it's like, mm-hmm. you, 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 I mean, that, that, that's a pretty amazing thing in and of itself. Um, and, and you played for incredible managers along the way, man. That's Bochi and Tori, right? And Dusty and Pinella and, and, and La Russa. Um, did you learn stuff from each of them, you think, as you look back? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the first one was Skip Bertman, you know, probably the, the greatest college baseball manager of all time down here in Baton Rouge, LSU. So, um, yes. yeah, I did. I did. And, and I tried to stay cognizant of, of of that. And I understood that while I was going through it, you know, honestly, how how special it was to be able to play for those guys um, and take something away from each one of them or a couple things away from each one of them. And I get the question quite a bit, um, you know, how – what did you get from them and, and, and how cool was that, you know, to play for all these great managers what did they all have in common and how were they different? You know, it's a, it's a talking point for sure. Um, hmm. And they were all great communicators too. And, and I'll tell you that that's always my answer. You know, those, those guys, and they did it in different ways, obviously, but, um, but, but they all communicated with their players well, and, and, and the players understood exactly what was asked of us to do, and, and, um, and, and therefore you saw success. Tell me about Tony. Let, let, let's talk about Tony, because we're living through Tony and experiencing Tony here, this version of him with, with, with the White Sox. And there's, it's an odd thing because this clubhouse was really well-defined as a culture, and they have their leaders and everything like that, and then Tony's stepping into that. It's a different thing than probably you probably you found in St. Louis when you got there and Tony was defining the place and had defined the place and everybody was kind of fitting into to his image of it or at least I guess that that's sure. my that's my assumption. So tell me about that dynamic when Tony as a leader or was it you guys as a clubhouse with Tony kind of observing and uh, and letting you run it? Uh, what was it like when you were there? No. No, I mean, Tony was always in charge, and there has to be a hierarchy, I believe. You know, there's got to be a pecking order. Um, you know, in Chicago, we'd always kind of admire it from afar, and we played those guys so much, obviously. Um, and they had good players, but, but there was definitely a, a you know, pecking order. And, and Tony was in charge, and Tony made the decisions, and Tony, you know, he would empower guys, obviously, with Albert and, and, uh, you know, you got Chris Carpenter and Yachty and, and, and uh, you know, some of those great leaders they had, Jimmy uh, Edmonds and, and so on and so forth. But it was always understood kind of who the boss was. And, and you know, from a player standpoint, that's perfectly fine. I mean, this guy, success, you couldn't argue with it. And he wasn't asking you to do anything crazy. He just wanted you to buy in. Um, and Tony's focus was always winning the last game and, and – and coming out on top and holding the trophy. So you couldn't argue with it. I think uh, stepping into that culture was pretty neat for me in 2011. Um, you know, and you take your spot 
wherever that may be on the team, and then you do what's asked of you, and you hope that that the puzzle pieces all fit together, and at the end of the year, you can be a champion. Did you um? Did you ever not like some of those managers? And you don't got to be specific. And I know you respected them, and that can be yeah. a different that can be a different thing, right? Because like. You know, some of these guys clearly don't like Tony, but I don't think he minds. Like, I don't think he cares about that necessarily, which is probably a skill to not worry about. Like, if 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 people like you, as long as they respect you, you know what I mean. Did you have that with any of those guys? Um, I, no, I didn't. I mean, mm-hmm. but that's again, I, you know, that's a personal thing. I mean, I think it's kind of how you how you were were taught as a youngster to you know, respect the, the authority that, that's above you and all that stuff. But, you know, I, obviously everybody's different. And people have their opinions, and that's perfectly fine. But I'll say this. I mean, a manager's job is not to be liked. I mean, I, I, I would have to imagine he wasn't hired so everybody would love him. There's been plenty of managers that everybody loved that didn't win, you know. So, um, you know, there were times, man, and I'm going to reference Skip Bertman again down at LSU because he won five national championships in nine years um, in college baseball, and, and the run crazy. was amazing. But that's, that's crazy. there were times, there were times where you know I think he would purposely try to make everybody mad at him, and kind of because they needed like a common, you know, uh, foe. They needed an enemy. You know, they needed something to play for. You know, and 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 that that happened absolutely happened. I don't think that's what's happening right now in Chicago, but but I've seen it happen before where managers will do that because they feel that the team needs needs an edge. Yeah, I mean that 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 kind of thing has been talked about with Tony. Whether he was planning to do that now or not, if it has that kind of effect, that's nothing new, right? Guys, 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 guys can play with that edge going against a manager, and sometimes a manager doesn't mind. Like you're talking about. No, yeah, absolutely. And it takes a special manager to be that way. Somebody's got to be super confident. They had to have had success before, and they really don't. You know, they really don't care. Uh, they really don't care to be to be you know everybody's best friend. It, it, it's about winning, winning ball games, winning championships, and and look, it's not easy uh, to, to do that, especially the way baseball is is today, where everybody's so good and so much information, and and um, so you you got to be different. You have to buck the system a little bit, uh, and so yeah, man. I I think what, what's what's happening now, and, and I've been following it pretty closely because I'm a, I, I I love the makeup of the White Sox team. Truthfully, and this is going back a couple years. I mean, they're fun to watch. It's an exciting group. There's young talent all over the place, um, you know. And so I always felt like you know once they made a change and get the right guy in. Uh, which you kind of saw the writing on the wall there, you know, that, that it was going to be one of those teams that could make a run, you know, for not only one year, but for a while, because you've got a lot of young talent. And, um, you know, a lot of times those guys just need, they need to be shown how to win um, championships. And it's not uncomfortable. And, and it's not about the individual as much as it is about the team. And that kind of, that kind of is different than, than today's game where, you know, a lot of these individual things are being encouraged, which is fine. And, and I think it's good for the game where you're getting more engagement, more interaction. Um, you know, fans are kind of gravitating to a lot of that stuff, but does that win championships? You know, and what's the goal? You know, and the, and the fans of the fans of the White Sox, you know, crushing Tony, you know, do you want to finish second in the division and, and lose in the second round of the playoffs, or do you want to win 
and 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 be uh, watching a parade on Michigan Avenue is the question that you got to ask yourself. And so, you got to let the thing play out, kind of see what happens, and see see where it cut where it goes. And look, let me say this too, man. I I think if 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 Tony is able to be Tony, and I don't know if he's going to be able to be Tony, truthfully, just because the game has changed. But but if Tony is able to be Tony, the, the, the White Sox are going to win. I mean, I, I feel I feel pretty certain of that. I mean, that's a really good team, and he knows how to win championships. There you go. That is former Cub, former Cardinal Ryan Terrio on the score earlier today with Matt Spiegel on hit and run. A lot of interesting stuff, some good points there. It just made me think about managers, and we'll keep it at baseball. This is going to sound odd, but managers have to manage their own power. You know, I mean, there are some guys like Tony La Russa who seems to like to collect the power all to himself, and then you look at a guy like Joe Madden who insisted upon staying out of that clubhouse and letting the big dogs, the alphas on the team, really do all the, the work when it came to that kind of stuff and even in, you know, semi-disciplinary matters. So managing a manager, self-managing, has to happen, and it doesn't always happen um, with these guys. But that was a good talk with uh, Ryan Terrio and Matt Spiegel right here on the score. And it's getting late in that White Sox game right now. It has gotten closer. It's a one-run ball game. 4-3 Yankees. Yasmani Grandal with a home run. Abreu hit a homer earlier. Two-run blast. So it's going to come right down to the end in that uh, particular White Sox game. When we return here on the score, let's transition. I've been looking forward to this. Going to get a chance to talk to Rami Makloff, who will... Be on the air hosting with you 3 o'clock up until Cubs pregame at about 5.30. So we'll talk to Rami next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Buffalo is largely a fraud, one of the more fraudulent teams in the NFL. Pretty sure Josh Allen is Mitch Trubisky 2.0 with some minor upgrades, but nothing special. Just throwing it out there. I think Josh Allen has taken a legitimate leap. I think Josh Uh, Allen is not a starting quarterback of a football team by 2021. You are... Out of your okay. mind. All right. Okay. I think he'll get exposed. I think as this season goes By along, next season? he will get exposed. Yeah. Do you remember that playoff game last year? That's the single worst sports thought I've heard in 2020. <laughs> that can't be possible. I yeah, just no, said put is. a roof on Wrigley Field. That can't be possible. This is worse. Okay. Dude, say that so. is the single worst okay. sports thought. Okay. All right. That, okay. Well, who hasn't had that thought that Josh Allen sucks and he is he's not long for the NFL? That's old, man. Guy, I mean, Rami just jumping on the bandwagon with a thought like that. Welcome back in on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Rami Makloff will join us here in a moment. Grody, great show. When do the Bears play Green Bay? There's a couple of textures here for you before the big buildup to to Rami. That'll be October 17th. They host Green Bay at noon. That's the first time they play them. Uh, Mr. Grody, folks need to just relax and leave Tony LaRusso alone. Go White Sox. And from the 630, Grody, what contract did you sign that makes you work every day? Um, it's a good one because, don't tell anybody, 
I like working. And I don't do anything else. I really don't do anything else. So I am totally down. I am here for you. I'm available to you. After I get off the radio, if you want to call me, I am available to you. Thank you to everybody who listened today, to the callers. The textures were great today. Some excellent interaction. Thank you to Evan Altman, Cubs insider, for joining me. Mark Potash, always entertaining, from the Chicago Sun-Times, talking Bears and more. Sean Anderson finally gets to go home after producing just, just two shows today. That's all he did. And now speaking of a guy who lives multiple lives with multiple fan bases, he is indeed Rami Makhlouf, who is a host here on The Score. He is also an afternoon drive host in Milwaukee on uh, 1250 a.m., The Fan, and he does an afternoon show called The Rami and Tim Show. Who are you? You're leading a double life, aren't you, Mac? Actually, it's now just the Rami show. I dropped some dead weight, Grody. That Tim guy ugh, just couldn't take him anymore. Are you serious? So, yeah, it's just it's, you, no. You... He, he went back to uh, he's been doing our Brewers post game coverage for like 15 years. So he just when the baseball season started, he just went back to doing that. And they're like, Rami, the afternoons are yours. So now it's just me ranting and rambling for three hours a day every afternoon on 1250 AM and oh. and and I'm back to uh to the stand up comedy game Grody after uh, after being vaccinated oh. so I'm li- I'm leading a triple life sir triple life over here dude that I is know. great so where so the venues are back open it's so, so are you doing open mic nights or do you have shows that you are doing like give me a little and then I'm going to I'm going to fill you in on my attempts at stand up comedy as well so tell me tell me tell me I'm like genuinely interested I have gotten back to the open mic nights uh there but those are still limited we have 3 of them a night in and or 3 of them a week in Milwaukee and I know there are a lot more going on in Chicago but there we have 3 a week in Chicago as far as open mics go and I just booked my first actual booked show since being vaccinated. That's uh, next Sunday. If anybody is listening in the Milwaukee area or wants to make their way out to the Milwaukee area, uh, next Sunday I'll be at the Laughing Tap. Come see if I shook off the rust, if, you, if you're interested in that. That is fantastic. Thank that's got to feel great. I yeah, love that every time I, I come here, I have to defend my Josh Allen take, though. That's... that's <laughs> 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 now, people have to remember, Where do you Grody, stand to that? People have to remember, yeah. Grody, when I said what I said right there, that little soundbite thing, that was week five of the NFL season, all right? And to that uh-huh. point, to that point, Josh Allen had had two bad seasons and five good weeks. Okay, so I wasn't even stepping out on that, that, that narrow a limb when I made that prediction. Now, he did a lot of good things after week five. I can't deny that. But I, I'm still not. And I'm not, I'm not saying this as some kind of bit, Grody. That's, that's not who I am. Uh-huh. I'm still not 100% sold on Josh Allen. And people look at me like I'm crazy when I say that. But that's, I think that, that's not arrogance on my part to have an outlandish take. I think that's the arrogance on, on people's part who, to think there's no way that what we saw from Josh Allen last year could, could not be real or is a little bit... He played a little bit above his head, and there is no way that he could come back down to earth. Like Carson Wentz and and Jared Goff don't exist. Okay, now maybe I was I was mm. often saying I was saying Mitch Trubisky, but we've seen guys play early on in their careers at an MVP level and then come back down to earth. And I still think that could happen to Josh Allen. I do. Call me crazy if you want, the, but I do. The the Jared Goff thing is a great comp to bring up because he has the great year. He gets the big contract, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden makes everybody look like a genius, and then all of a sudden he comes screaming back down to earth. 
And now, look, at he's stuck in Detroit with a team that probably doesn't really care that they have him. He's the stopgap guy. Well, Detroit, what, what are they going to win? Two, three games this year? So that's they're going to bite some kneecaps fall. off, though. Don't, they're going to bite some kneecaps <laughs> off while they're winning two or three games. So. Yes, yes. Dan Campbell will, will make sure that that occurs, but that's a pretty good example. So if Josh Allen goes through, like, a five-game slump or so, will you be, like, constantly calling the Parkinson Spiegel show to, to get on the air to, to rub it in, and I told you so to those guys? I mean, most likely, yes. But in, in reality, yeah. in reality, Grody, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I do, because I, I think Josh Allen is a good dude, and if I'm right, it's going to cost him a whole lot more money than it'll cost me if I'm wrong. I'll still be on 12.50 a.m. the fan weekdays, <laughs> 3 to 6, if I'm wrong, Grody. I'm here to be entertaining, not to be right. He gets paid to be a good quarterback. Back. And if he's not, he doesn't get paid. So all, all the more power to Josh Allen. I, I just I, I still have some questions about the guy. That's all. I think that if if you're wrong, what's going to happen? Mitch is going to be like, you know what? We're going to we're going to put Tim back on. We can't just we can't let we can't ride this three hours. So Tim, we're going to need you back on the radio. It's just too ridiculous. Afternoons from three to six. This guy's out of control. He needs Mitch somebody, just he needs randomly adds him in. He just adds Tim wherever needed. Like, Grody, these solo shows you're doing, they're not working out. There's a fellow named Tim in Milwaukee. We're going to go ahead and put him on your show just, just for a while. But you you tried your hand at stand-up comedy, Mark? Oh, I did, man. Did yeah, you? like, uh, so years ago, uh, this is like 2000-ish, I, I was working in Springfield doing a full-time radio show like nine to noon, like politics, entertainment, like full, full, like news talk format. Okay. So it was, I was enjoying it. And it, that was the full time gig. They had a, a comedy club there, which and I don't know if this comedy club still exists, but it is the, the funny bone comedy club. And which were, they were prevalent around the country. Like I said, don't know if they still were. Yeah. So they were holding like a, like a, like a, a tryout for anybody who wanted to come in there and try out and do stand up for the distinction of being the opening act for like the real comedians oh. who would come through and tour. So there's like 30 of us or so that tried out and I did not win. I came in third. So I came in oh, third wow. place, right? Yeah. Third place, which is pretty good, but that that got me absolutely nothing. But the the two guys that were better than me that beat me out, neither of them, one of them did it once and then got out, and then the other guy left. And so the funny bone called me and said, "Hey, Grote, Grote, what's your name? Grody, can can you come in and be our guy? Like every week, you could be the the opening act, two shows on Friday and Saturday, like the." Yeah, every oh, weekend. Wow. Every weekend. Yeah. Like twenty five dollars a show, dude. Um Looking you know, where world. they give you They yeah. got a drink ticket? Did you get a drink ticket? There was a drink ticket, yes. <laughs> there was the, oh yeah. Which is part of the problem that occurred, I have to tell you. Oh. But no, I'd get twenty five bucks a show, so I'd walk out of there with fifty dollars cash money in my pocket. You know, the big guy who ran the club at the end would literally just dig into his pocket and give me $50, and I would head into my night in Springfield, Illinois. But I had a show where I was okay, but I had a show where I completely bombed, and it, I was off the stage in 30 seconds. So I, so my rule was, Rami, I, would, I made a rule that I would never drink 
before doing shows, okay? Just because I thought anybody could be funny if they drank. I was like, I, I want to see if I could do this legit mm-hmm. without enhancers, you know? So I was getting cocky. I'd had a good early show. I had a string of decent shows where, oh, my God, people are actually laughing at this crap I'm throwing out there. <laughs> And so I so I went to the bar, sat next to another coworker who'd been out there, had about eight or nine old styles, and not kidding, they were old styles. I, I go to do oh, the, no. the ten o'clock show, which is a very expecting crowd. You know what I mean? You know how oh, it yeah. is, the late crowd. Oh, yeah. That's mm. that's the one that is expecting hilariousness. And I get up there, I made like one joke, dude, and then my brain Instead of opening up because I was drunk, it went blank. It went blank. And I stood up there, and, like, they're looking at me. They're, like, the sympathy and the eyes of this crowd, they're looking at me like, can you give us a knock-knock joke? Something. And I just, I stopped, and I go, I go, I go, oh, crap. And I walked off the stage. You didn't even introduce the next comic? You just walked off? no, I oh didn't even God. introduce the the real comic. Wow. And he he's sitting back, you know, he's sitting in the back having a drink and he just like pops up, runs up to the stage, and I and, and like he, he he just started going and he was so pissed. He was so pissed and Yeah, that is not a good way to was, get the show rolling, Grody. That is not a good way to get the show rolling at all. As no, host. no. It, it was it was pretty bad and I amazingly I still got paid. And amazingly, they let me come back, and it was kind of like, uh, "Shake it off, kid. It's all good. Uh, you'll be fine." And uh, so that that was about it. I mean, I, I wow. kept, I did it for a while, but then then like I moved back to Chicago and I just got out of it. And I've I've always threatened to go back. So I envy you, brother. Good for you. Man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Grody. Yeah, man. So what uh, what what have you coming up on the Rami Makhlouf show without Tim? Well, you know, as you said, I, I work up in Milwaukee Monday through Friday, and I feel like Bears fans and Packers fans jumping to a lot of conclusions about what this division and the quarterback landscape might look like if Aaron Rodgers was to go away. And I think people are jumping way, way too far with their conclusions. I want to talk about that. Of course, I have thoughts on Tony La Russa and what that means in a real baseball sense. And Grody, I've been wondering lately... I don't know why this thought keeps popping in my head, but as this Cubs team starts to turn things around, what would they look like with you, Darvish? I don't know why I do that to myself, but what would they look like with you, Darvish? So I want to explore that uh, potential timeline with our listeners this afternoon, taking you right up to Cubs baseball pregame at 530, first pitch at 608 right here on The Score. I love it, bro. I'm going to put my earbuds in, take a walk, and I will be listening to the Rami Makhlouf show. Have a good one, man. Thanks, Brody. See you, man. Yep. And that's going to do it. I've been told uh, to wrap it up Grody. So I am wrapping it up Grody. Uh, Rami Makhlouf is coming up next. Thanks to everybody for listening. I'll be back tomorrow night. I'll be, i got a full show tomorrow night, 6 to 10, right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. That's a wrap. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.